Good morning, Grace Church. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And indeed, we are here to rejoice because we can be together as the Lord's people under this tent. And we are so grateful for that. We want to greet you in the Lord and just remind you that we are a Christ-centered community intent on making disciples and sacrificially serving our Lord Jesus in all that we do. And our theme this year is under the sun, under the Lord Jesus in all that we do, and we want to encourage you with that, that powerful world today. And we want to also remind you there's a lot going on here at Grace Church, and uh, if you're new especially, we want to greet you in the Lord and just encourage you to worship with us today with the, with the whole heart. There's, a, there's a, a card on the chair, should be a card on the chair right near you, and uh, if you want to uh, scan that QR code, there's also QR codes posted around the campus, and uh, check out what's going on here. Stop by the Welcome Center if you have a chance and say hello. We want to connect with you in every way that we can. Some reminders, uh, Grace Bible Institute's coming up a week from uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, and want to encourage you to uh, be prepared to come for that. It's all about refu refuting progressive Christianity. And on the, uh, in the Welcome Center, on the table back there, there's a book called The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity by Michael Kruger. We'd be just encourage you. It's not very big, it's really skinny, and uh, you can take a few minutes and read that prior to coming next Sunday evening and be prepared, and you will be blessed. So I encourage you to do that. Also, things that are happening, there's uh, Sunday school or Bible classes are happening again here at Grace Church, uh, birth through pre-K, and then uh, kindergarten through second grade, all three services, playgrounds open between services, keep that in mind. And then um, various classes are meeting also around the campus, so check that out if you could. And then, um, ladies, uh, Women of the Word restarts Thursday, Thursday mornings beginning March 18th, so keep that in mind, ladies. And then men, uh, Men of the Word are meeting on Fridays at 7 a.m., so come on early and be blessed. So I'm going to invite you now, if you would, to stand with me. We're going to be reading from Psalm 33. Psalm 33, if you'll stand with me. We're going to be reading the first five verses of Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Gracious Lord, we're grateful for the power of your word. We're grateful, Father, that you have chosen by your grace to grant to us a guide to live our lives that enables us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for your word, the standard of all truth, and we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and, and uh, to understand and to obey, Lord, your word with a whole heart. So we pray, Lord, that you would lead us by your truth and that we might indeed delight you in all our ways. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing as we 
open singing together.
If you'll remain standing for prayer, for uh, reading of God's word today, uh, God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word. And we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Pastor Mike will be preaching on verses 7 and 8 this morning, but we're going to read uh, all four verses. So, beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. You may be seated. This morning we're going to be praying for a missionary family that we support in Africa. Uh, we can't name the country or even our missionary names because it's a very highly persecuted country. There's concern. So uh, we want to especially pray for them and uh, ask God's grace. So join with me as we pray. Lord, we're so grateful that we can come before your presence today and that by your grace and your mercy and your holy love for us that you have chosen to redeem us through the death of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And Lord, we thank you and we, so we praise you and pray, Lord, that uh, even today as we've already prayed, Lord, that you indeed would open our the eyes of our hearts and the Open our ears that we might see and hear, Lord, that which you have for us today. Lord, we're grateful. Lord, we pray now that uh, even as we come before you, a people who are unworthy, that you have chosen to redeem us. And Lord, we ask now that uh, you would especially uh, care for and guide uh, our missionaries in Africa, the ones that we're thinking about especially this morning, Lord, that face uh, incredible persecutions to the point where they are... Uh, concerned about even naming the name of Christ out loud, we ask, Lord, that you would go before them and uh, give them boldness and strength and that you would guard them and protect them by your holy angels. And, Lord, that you, in your grace and by your spirit, would lead them into all truth and give them great joy as they find ways to share the power of the gospel of Christ to those who know you not. Lord, we commit them to you and ask your grace upon them. And, Lord, uh, we just come before you today, and, and we pray, Lord, that according to the riches of your glory, that you might grant to us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our, in our inner beings, Lord, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To you, Lord, be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken, though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to him who hears me. Oh, praise him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, ever failing, my redeemer, my God.
we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to sing together with fellow Christians and delight in you and all that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you for the gift of Christ and forgiveness from sin. And Lord, we thank you that we have the chance to uh, worship you and hear from scripture this morning. We pray you would help us to tune our hearts to hear your word, understand it, and by your spirit to help us apply it to our lives, Lord, as we go out from here and seek to live joyful lives that are rooted in Christ. We thank you for this morning, Lord, and all that you've done for us, that your blessing be on the rest of the day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes is the spiritual journal of a humbled man. Wisdom for any who will listen. And right near the end of his life, Solomon is giving this realistic view of life. His conclusions were forged in the fire of failure and frailty, and they ring true. We're getting now to the sweet center of Ecclesiastes, and Near end of book, he says, rejoice. And he says rejoice not once, but twice. Solomon has been angling towards joy. And so he is going to repeat this theme of joy twice. Kind of like that perfect recipe, recipe that's missing a key ingredient. Ecclesiastes 11, 7 through 10 adds joy uh, to chapter 10, sensible, calm, realistic, carefully measured words and minded ways. And chapter 11's heaping portion of bold, generous, risky faith. Be joyful. This is what, this is what Solomon is telling us. And, and by the way, I realize that when, when you're told to be joyful, it's kind of hard to do that if you're not joyful. Some of you did not wake up joyful today. Some of you are not feeling joyful. Some of you are not going through a joyful season of life. And I hope that as we look into the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, and God really changes our hearts about joy, that you will, you will see that if, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, that you have joy and that you are to traffic in that joy no matter what even if you are in the deepest valley that you have ever been in. Be joyful. Life is this really this playlist of joy and sorrow, is it not? And Christians, though, often live seemingly joyless lives, and what, was ha what is happening is we start experiencing sorrow, which then seems to eclipse joy in our life, and we... We experience the type of things that Solomon speaks of in Ecclesiastes. Injustice, abuse, oppression, depravity in our hearts or the world, painful circumstances, and it's very easy to be Eeyore and not bouncing around like Tigger. We have joyful days and sorrowful days. In fact, Dr. Seuss would rhyme it. Good ones, bad ones, happy ones, sad ones, glad ones, mad ones. I'm not quoting Dr. Seuss. Can't find his books. <laughs> but this is what he would say. William Wordsworth was surprised to find joy in the midst of grief. He wrote, surprised by joy. And he wrote something that sufferers can relate to. He spoke of that, that moment when joy sweeps over you when you're in deep grief. And it is surprising. Because it's from God. I mean, it's probably no surprise to you that you probably aren't experiencing joy if you happen to get happy because something you like happened. Wow, I'm happy because everything is going the way I want it to go. 
That's not joy. You see, true joy exists outside of happy. It exists outside of happy. C.S. Lewis put it this way, joy must be sharply distinguished from both happiness and pleasure. He said that joy has one thing in common with them. Anyone who has experienced it will want it again. And then he said, I doubt that anyone who has ever tasted joy would ever exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. And joy, he said, is never in our power, but pleasure often is. The Bible talks a lot about joy. The Bible talks a lot about rejoicing. Joy, if you do a search in your Bible, you'll find it at least 172 times. The first reference is in Genesis chapter 31. And it's very interesting. It's a reference about missing the opportunity for joy. How like depraved humans to miss the opportunity for joy. The second reference in Deuteronomy 28 is about not serving God with joy. Sinful, depraved humans don't serve God with joy. And then you come along to the next reference in 1 Samuel 18, David killing Goliath, and the people come out with joy and tambourines. Their, their enemy has been defeated. You see joy in 1 Chronicles 12 when, when Israel made David king. And then you see this idea of rejoicing in the Bible. 148 times, 52 times in the Psalms. Joy is a word of the Psalms. Rejoicing is the word of the Psalms. In Leviticus 23, it says, we are, they were to celebrate the Feast of Atonement before the Lord. And it says, you shall rejoice before the Lord for seven days. For seven days, they were to discipline themselves to rejoice in God, to remember the goodness of God, to remember his grace towards them, to remember his kindness toward them. Very well-known passage on joy is Psalm 16, verse 11. You make me known uh, the path of life. You make known to me the path of life, the well-worn well road of life. And then in your presence, literally before your face, in, in the presence of your person is fullness of joy, exceeding joy, gladness. And then at your right hand, this place of authority, are pleasures, sweet and delightful. And they're forever. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. They endure. They're everlasting. Christians have joy. They're accepted in Christ. They're secure in Christ. But far too often, we obscure joy. We eclipse joy. We, we misunderstand joy. We, we confuse it with, with fleeting happiness. We confuse it with getting what we want. And so then we hide joy. We, we hinder joy. We're like a, a curtain operator at an old-time theater. We, we draw the blinds. We cover the obvious. We will even take some flimsy circumstantial evidence and throw in the proverbial towel and discard joy because things just aren't going my way and I refuse to be joyful. We should be trafficking in unrelenting joy, abiding joy, undiminished joy, God-centered joy, soul-anchoring joy, otherworldly joy, because biblical joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. It's not dependent on favorable circumstances. It's not fleeting. It's not vaporous. It's not brief. It's not sourced in you. You cannot manufacture it. Biblical joy is anchored in God, who Zephaniah 3.17 says, rejoices over his people with shouts of joy with joyful singing, even. Jesus talks about joy. In John chapter 14, he said, my joy will be in you, 
and as a result, your joy will be full. Literally, that means crammed full into your heart, overflowing. That you will have more joy than you need. And some of you are like, uh, my life does not have more joy than I need right now. I think you're talking about happiness. Because if you're a Christian, you have more joy than you need right now. You're just, you're just obscuring it. In John chapter 15, Jesus said that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full, literally like a net full of fish. Like, like Jesus' disciples just bringing a huge catch. And then in John 16, 24, he says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full, fully supplied. 1 John 1, 4, I'm writing to you that your joy may be complete. 2 John 1, 12 says the same exact thing. That your joy may be complete, that you would, would read what the word is saying and that your joy would be complete. Rejoicing, joy, from God. It's from God, it's not sourced in us. Rejoice, be joyful, and understand what it is. With that, we can look at what Solomon is saying about joy. If you understand what God says about joy, then you can actually take what Solomon is saying appropriately and accurately. In verses 7 and 8, we're going to look at those today. We are to rejoice in the life that God gives. To rejoice in the life God gives. Verse 7 begins with the word light. It's daylight. It's sunlight. Now, I know it's overcast today, and I know the sun is not shining, but it's not pitch black. It's light outside. And it says that light, daylight, sunlight, is sweet, is pleasant. It's agreeable. It's beautiful. It's, it's beneficial for the eyes to see, to behold the sun. You're not supposed to be looking straight at the sun. That will harm your eyes. <laughs> The idea is that light, daylight, sunlight is sweet and pleasant and agreeable and beautiful. And for you to see that the sun is shining is a good thing. Now, we're not just talking here about the benefits of vitamin D. Light, there's a common Old Testament metaphor that refers to God. It refers to his covenant blessings. It, it refers even to Jesus. Jesus is spoken of. He says of himself, I am the light of the world. What, what Solomon is getting at is this is what it means to be fully alive. God created light. God saw it was good. Light reflects the goodness of life, of joy, of blessing, of life, in contrast to darkness. So sweetness and light. Sweetness and light. The preacher is wordsmithing the good life this is the good life from God. And sweetness of light refers to honey. And you know what the Bible, you know it's sweet, and you know that the land promised to the Israelites flowed with milk and honey. Honey is to be savored with enthusiasm. It brightens the eyes. And the word of God is spoken of as being sweeter than honey. In Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 19, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. It is sweet to hear the word of God. Earlier in Ecclesiastes, sun was a, a metaphor for futility, really, almost mocking man in its rising and its setting, an object of vanity. But now, here, sun is, is spoken of as the visible, vital source of benefit. And, and joy really is like vitamin D3 for your soul. You need it daily. You need joy. It comes from God, but you need to rejoice. You need to remember the joy that God is giving you. And verse 8 says, if a person lives many years, so now we know people that live to 100 years old, and you're like, picture people that are really old. Depends on how old you are. Are you thinking of me, maybe, if you are really young, and you're thinking about one of you if you're my age, uh, but... Here's the thing, it does, it's kind of, you know, young and old, it depends on how old you are. Like if you're two, 
you know, a 20-year-old seems old. This is 40, and an 80-year-old seems old. And, and in this tent, you know, 70 is old, right? Or whatever the oldest person is in the room. I don't know, 60. I don't know what, how old you all are. But if a person lives many years, here's what Solomon says. Let him rejoice in all of those years, in all of those days. Be glad, be happy, take pleasure in all of it. Because God gives life and, and to enjoy. And however many years you get, you rejoice in them all. You're like, well, wait a minute. You know, 1973 wasn't a good year. <laughs> or, wait a minute, this last year was like the deepest valley of my life. Wait, I'm supposed to rejoice in that? You're to rejoice in the aggregate of your life, of, of the, the years that God has blessed you with. And I think most of us would look back at some of the hardest times in our lives and say that's the time that God brought about the most growth and the most maturity and even startlingly the most joy. The person lives, verse 8, many years, let him rejoice, be glad, be happy, take pleasure in, in them all. Reminds me of the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Turn to Psalm 90. Get your Bible. Psalm 90, and we'll just look at verses 9 through 14. The man of God, Moses, prayed this prayer. They made it into a song. And it starts in verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. It's not starting off great. We got wrath and sighing. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, if you can get there. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone. We, we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In verse 12, so teach us to number our days so that we get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning, verse 14, with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All those days of toil, all those days of trouble, that we would be satisfied by God and his steadfast love and that we would rejoice and be glad all of our days. This is the prayer of Moses, the man of God, that you would actively rejoice in every life stage, every season of life. And you know, the older you get, life just speeds up. And it's gone in a flash. And, and you're to ring it dry of every opportunity, every ounce of goodness. Redeem the time. Because your days are numbered by God. God knows how many days you're going to live. And he wants you to be glad in what he gives. Rejoice in the life God gives. We all know that Days are weighted differently. I mean, the joy of a wedding day is different than a joy of a believer's funeral day. Right? Wedding joy is different than a believing funeral joy. But as verse 8 tells us, you need to remember something. Remember that the days of darkness will be many. Now, ever the realist, the preacher warns, Earthly joys are fleeting. Do not forget the days of darkness. Now, he is either referring to trials and tribulations in life, or he's referring to the finality of death. And this whole series of living in light of dying, that's the way you really live if you know that you're going to die. And, and you really live and have joy if you know that death is impending. And, and he's either talking here about the trials and tribulations of life, the days of darkness will be many, or death. And he says, remember, You'll call it to your mind, recall, this is going to be this way. Be realistic about it. I mean, but we let joy get robbed. We rob ourselves of joy. And what happens is when you, when you think of days of darkness and trial and tribulation, let's say, we will magnify the trials and it eclipses the joy. 
that we have in Christ. Joy is robbed when trials are magnified. And what does James say right off the bat? What does James say right off the bat? Chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brethren, beloved, when you encounter various trials. How's that for counterintuitive? Count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. I love what John Calvin said. There is nothing in afflictions which ought to disturb our joy. You should write that down if you're taking notes. There is nothing in our afflictions that should disturb our joy. Now, some of you are like, well, that was John Calvin. He was paid to say that. Oh, that, that's John Calvin. He wrote the Institutes. I mean, there's nothing in afflictions which ought to disturb our joy. What does he know about that? You can be as skeptical as me. Well, that was just Calvin saying that. But most people don't know how Calvin suffered. Just physically. He had nine different specific ailments that, on a daily basis, he lived with. He had severe chronic asthma, where you, you can't breathe sometimes. He had migraine headaches. If you ever had migraines, you know how debilitating those can be. He had pleuritis, the inflammation of the tissues lining the lungs and chest, which causes sharp pain while breathing. He had kidney stones. He had, sorry, but he had hemorrhoids. He had gallstones. He had severe arthritis. He had frequent influenza with, with raging fevers. He's the guy that said, there is nothing in afflictions which ought to disturb our joy. Puts it kind of in a different light. I think of our COVID-19, uh, you know, season, I guess you call it. You know, we're still saying 19. It's 2021 now. And I think a lot of people, because of circumstances, make joy in their life dependent on getting to do everything they want. You may have become like that. I'm not doing, I don't get to do what I want, so huh, I'll just, you know, cross my arms and, and refuse to be joyful, and I'll make everyone else around me miserable. And so you start to believe things that are a little bit twisted. You start to think things that are a little bit off center, and, and you start making even certain teachings essential. A lot of people do this with gathering as a church. I get asked like multiple times a week, is Grace Church of Orange open? You know, and it's, it can be a little bit of a virtue signal. You're either fully open or not meeting at all, and, and you don't know, you know, what landmine you're going to step on as the question's being asked. You know, gathering of the people of God is expected by God. But there is no command on the exact location. We will not st stop doing anything that the church is called to do. But the Bible doesn't tell us when and exactly where to gather. The Bible, I don't see it in the Bible. You will meet in the room that you call the worship center. 8, 9, 30, and 11 every single Sunday. In fact. God doesn't stipulate it, but we, by the way, fought a, a, a reformation on, on this, kind of, this kind of reasoning. It's not the building, it's not the building, it's not the building, it's the people. But some people can't, can't wait to get back in their building. And all I can say is, the best building in the world is not that great. And I'm not saying tents are amazing either. I'm just saying that we're going to gather, no matter what, in some way. There's nothing in afflictions which ought to disturb our joy. You know, what happens in my life is the best moments hit when I'm when I'm downcast and I'm, I'm processing feebly, praying and working it through, and, and all of a sudden, 
God surprises me with joy. They're like a sunrise out of the blue and a glimpse of glory and, and renews my mind and, and reorients and realigns me to what is right and true and good. Where that jump starts joy. An atheist recently said, you know, if you think Christians are, are joyous, you should listen to the prayer requests. It's interesting what you can learn from atheists. Atheists, if you think Christians are joy, joyous, you should listen to the prayer requests. Nothing but a parade of desperate, broken people appealing to magic to solve their problems. That's not happiness, it's denial. That's what unbelievers are going to say about us. But being a Christian is being joyful in your need, in your valleys, in your pits, in the storms, in the turbulence. And we all know what turbulence makes us think. That the plane is going to crash. A former atheist said this recently. I remember being so annoyed by Christians and how happy they always were. I was mad that they weren't miserable and angry like me. Now I'm in Christ Jesus, and this joy I feel is so real, despite my circumstances. I rest and have peace in God. Think about when you hear the gospel and at the same moment feel the weight of your sin. Even if you can look back at the, the moment when, when you came to faith in Christ, if you know when that was, that you, you were hearing the gospel of the grace of God in Christ and hearing that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins, shed his blood, paid the penalty your sins deserved, and he died on the cross and was buried and rose on the third day. And as you're hearing these words, the gears are moving and you are feeling the weight of your sin. And you think about the gospel and the weight of your sin, and you cried out to Jesus to save you. Someone just recently wrote this to me. He said, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a friend of mine, and he felt the weight of his sin and confessed to the Lord and asked for salvation. You know what happens when you boldly sow the word of God? God saves souls according to his timing and his pleasure. And it fills us with joy to witness new life. When, you, when new life comes, you, you get joy. But only a Christian can truly rejoice. Even if the circumstances don't change. Romans 5, 2 tells us, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then verse 11 tells us, in, We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation causes us to magnify Christ's goodness with a joyful heart. And I think that's good because when you read at the last part of verse 8, you could get depressed again because it says all that comes is vanity. All that comes is vanity. Habel. Vaporous. Brief. A breath. Steam. Off your coffee. Fleeting. There's a time stamp on earthly joy. But joy from Christ is not fleeting. It is eternal. We, we, have, we, we look to a greater light who is risen and never setting, the sun of righteousness. In Christ there is no darkness, 1 John 1, 5 tells us. And in his eternal kingdom, Revelation 21 tells us that the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illumines it, and the Lamb is its light. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because Christ is our life. Because Jesus is our strength. Spurgeon put it this way. I find that my sweetest, happiest, safest state is that of a poor, guilty, helpless sinner calling upon the name of the Lord and taking mercy from his hands, although I deserve nothing but his wrath. Makes me think about when Jesus cleansed a leper. Jesus cleansed a leper 
recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Leprosy was a chronic disease. It was incurable back then. It was infectious. It caused skin lesions and nerve damage. And the Israelites believed it was a curse from God, that it was punishment for your sin. And if you had leprosy, you were shunned by society. No one would go around you because you could infect others and make them unclean. You had a Jewish double whammy going on. And Jesus heals the leper. And then tells the leper, don't tell anyone. The guy goes out and tells everyone. I mean, wouldn't you? I don't think this guy could contain his joy. I don't think he could contain his joy. I want to point out something in verse 8 to you. Two very important verbs. The first is easy, rejoice. The second is remember. These are two very important verbs here in verse 8. Rejoice and remember. You rejoice by remembering. Remember the days of darkness will be many. There's your motivation to rejoice. The time is now. Don't delay. Rejoice every day. Uh, Remember your joy in Christ. Remember your joy in Jesus as you live under the sun, as you live trusting and surrendered to God's sovereign sufficiency, as, as you live with the resolve to eliminate joy killers, that you would rejoice and remember your joy in Christ and that your joy in Christ is not living without problems. It's living in the presence of God. And that you would remember that joy is not dependent on circumstances. It delights in Christ. Joy is not sourced in you. It springs from God. That's why you can rejoice in the life God gives. That you can resolve to rejoice in Christ. Because everything you need is in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are able You're all-powerful to keep us from stumbling because Jesus holds us from falling from the faith and that you are able to present us blameless, faultless before the presence of your glory because of Christ's imputed righteousness by faith and that you are able to do all of that with great joy, that it's your joy and ours that would be exceeding, that, that you, for the joy set before you, endured the cross, and that we now have joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And Lord, our deepest desire, our deepest longing is to hear these words from you one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand if you're able as we close singing today.
like remembering the glory of God and singing the glory of God and the word of God to jumpstart joy and it's really good and uh, we're going to pick up verses 9 and 10 next week probably finish this little passage next week and then I want to remind you to make sure you grab these cards that we have and look at the QR code and other things and just know we have Grace Bible Institute next Sunday night and we'd love to see all of you there. And we're going to go ahead and close with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.